0: resurrection rolls. Anybody had a resurrection roll before? Isn't that a great idea? Yeah, it just shows that empty place. And as you look at them without Pastor Dinah's expre- uh, explanation, we would say what What happened here? What, what, what happened here that caused this? And that's what happened when they went to the empty tomb. What is going on that the tomb was empty? Reminded me of a story that our uh, friend, comedian Ken Davis tells, we just saw Ken a few weeks ago, we were at a Youth for Christ reunion in Denver, Megan was on Youth for Christ staff, and Ken was on staff with us about uh, 40 years ago, and he's gone on to have quite a career as a Christian comedian, this is one of his favorite stories, that, uh, one of my favorite stories of his, he writes about a woman who looked out her window and saw her German shepherd shaking the life out of a neighbor's pet rabbit. Her family did not get along well with these neighbors, so this was going to be uh, quite a neighborhood disaster. <clears throat> So she grabbed a broom, she pummeled the dog until it dropped the now extremely dead rabbit out of its mouth." She panicked, she didn't know what else to do, so she grabbed the rabbit, she took it inside, she gave it a bath, she blow-dried it to its original fluffiness, she combed it until the rabbit was looking pretty good and snuck into the neighbor's yard and propped the rabbit back up in the cage. An hour later, she heard screams coming from next door. She asked her neighbor, what's going on? And the neighbor said, our rabbit, our rabbit, her neighbor cried, he died two weeks ago, we buried him and now he's back. Laughter Dead rabbits usually don't come back to life. And people in the ancient world also knew that dead rabbits tended to stay dead, and they also knew that dead rabbis also tend to stay dead. And so how do we explain this? How do we explain the empty tomb except that Jesus truly rose from the dead? And there are several explanations, but they usually end up at a at a dead end. How do we explain an empty tomb? Here at Napier Cove, we've been on this little journey during Lent that we have called the Easter Road. We've called it Easter Road and we've made some stops through the New Testament book of Romans looking at specific texts that explain our need for forgiveness and point to God's plan of salvation. And today we declare that the Easter Road, or that is, God's gift of new life in Christ, does not make sense without an empty tomb. The empty tomb means that Christ has risen, that he has forgiven sin, that he has defeated death, and that he is able to give us new life. Only an empty tomb makes all of this worthwhile and makes it work. Only an empty tomb, only a risen living Christ makes all of this work. And so as we move on this Easter road today, we say this, that the Easter road leads to an empty tomb. The Easter road that we've been on these last several weeks of Lent leads to an empty tomb and that empty tomb points us to the risen Jesus and he calls us to new new life. And we ask ourselves the question, some over and over again to make sure, and others perhaps for the first time, do you believe? So with John 20 that Greg read from the the text, with John 20 as our guide, we're going to approach the empty tomb and we're going to answer these three questions. First of all, what do you see as we approach the empty tomb? Secondly, what do you hear? And then thirdly, with the disciples and as modern day disciples now, we say, what do you believe? What do you see? All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us that Mary Magdalene was at the tomb early on Sunday morning. Matthew, Mark, and Luke tell us that there were some other women with her, but John focuses just on Mary Magdalene and what she sees or what she doesn't see. And what we have here is Mary Magdalene who sees an empty tomb and she is coming up empty herself. She sees the empty tomb and with no explanation, she comes up empty. The big stone that was used to cover the opening has been rolled away. It had been closed, and according to Matthew's account, it had been sealed shut. But here it was open, and Mary saw it rolled away. This was unexpected. She tried to explain. She tried to make sense of what she saw, and she kept coming up empty. All she could think of was must be grave robbers. In fact, she had a name for the grave robbers. They were named they. They have taken him away. There was no thought of resurrection here. He is dead. The body is not here. He must be somewhere, and her grief and her emptiness then deepen. As the story unfolds, she runs back to tell the disciples and, uh, and have them help her f- find an explanation for what has happened. Two of them run back, as John tells the story, Peter and, quote, the one Jesus loved. Well, he loved all of them, but that was how John's name uh, for himself, and so it was Peter and John that ran back to the tomb. John tells us that he wins the race back to the tomb, and he stoops and looks, but he doesn't go in. But impulsive Peter gets there and he goes straight in. So Peter is the first one to see. And Peter sees, but he's not sure what's going on either. Peter sees an empty tomb. He sees grave clothes lying there empty. But John records no reaction from Peter. In fact, it says that he just goes home. In fact, in Luke's story of the resurrection, he tells us Peter went away wondering what had happened. Peter went away wondering what had happened. There was no way to explain the empty tomb for Peter There was seeing, but there was uncertainty. Since Peter had entered and looked and now left John now, it says, records that he sees and he goes in. And he believes. He looks, he sees there's nobody, but he sees more. Not only are the grave clothes there, but they are neatly folded. I don't know if you can all see or you can come up afterwards. We have some grave clothes in our empty tomb with a, a bright light and they are neatly folded and that's what he found out. Grave robbers don't usually leave grave clothes neatly folded. They would not have left it like this. They could not have left it where the body seemed to have slipped out. The wheels are turning in John's head and he's trying to put things together and what he has seen with his eyes he now tends—he now seems to see with his mind as well. There's only one explanation for John and that is that Christ is risen. Though in his own notes he says that they didn't really understand what it meant at the time. They didn't understand why Jesus had to rise but he really did believe that he had risen as he said he would. He believed, he saw, and he believed this empty tomb was now pointing to the risen Jesus. And so we ask ourselves again here on Easter once again, what do we see? Is it the same old story? Is it the same old legend of a a risen Savior? Or maybe there really were grave robbers, or maybe the Jewish leaders stole him, or maybe the Roman soldiers took him away to put an end to this whole thing. Some have said that the disciples were hallucinating and just thought they saw him because they missed him so badly. There's an English New Testament scholar pretty well known named N.T. Wright and he says this. He says recently recently some people have tried to say quote, ah, well, when those you love die sometimes you will experience them in the room with you, smiling at you, maybe even talking to you and then they will disappear again. Maybe that's what happened to these disciples. Wright goes on to say this is a well-documented phenomenon as part of the grief process. This happens. Sometimes you imagine that your loved one is there. And he goes on and says, but the crunch is that the early Christians knew about that phenomena just as well as we do. They knew perfectly well about such things as visions and hallucinations, dreams, ghosts, and so on. In other words, if they had an experience, however vivid it seemed, of being with Jesus, but if the tomb had not been empty, they would have said, my goodness, that was a very powerful experience and quite consoling in a way, but he hasn't been raised from the dead, of course, because dead people don't get raised until the end of time, and maybe... Anyway, here is his body in the tomb. Do you catch what he's saying? You might have that experience, he says, but the tomb was empty. They couldn't possibly have been hallucinating. Plus, there's uh, no evidence of anybody having mass hallucinations of 500 plus that saw the risen Christ. The tomb was not full, did not have a body in it. The tomb was empty. The story shifts now, Peter and John go home, but meanwhile, Mary gets, comes back. Now, here's, here's a little review. I, I love the way John tells the story, a lot of action going on. She comes, and she sees that it's empty. She runs back for the guys and tells them, and them being quite the gentleman they are, they leave her in the dust, and they run back to the tomb to find out by themselves. They do their little investigation. Peter looks, John looks. Meanwhile, Mary kind of catches up after they head home. Kind of got the little action sequence going on here, so now she's there alone. And we ask the question, not only what do we see, but what do we hear? In John's account, what we hear is we hear Mary grieving. We hear her weeping. We hear her emptiness deepening as her confusion grows and she is grieving over this empty tomb. When we come to verse 11, Mary is feeling this loss and emptiness. She's crying and grieving. She cannot see her way through this all, but her weeping and her crying is heard. And it says that she steps into the tomb and she sees two white-robed angels. And we hear them saying, why are you crying? Still in her grief and confusion, she explains, because they have taken away my Lord. And I don't know where they have put him. There's no return reply from the angels, at least recorded in John's gospel. But after she has heard these two angels, she now hears another voice asking the same question, only from the outside the tomb, that says, "'Why are you crying?' And the way the passage reads, she hears this question, but she only kind of sees who's who's asking. It's like she's looking at this empty tomb. She's kind of amazed she's seen two angels, and she sort of sees somebody back here, and she hears this voice say, why are you crying? And through her tears, she's still looking at this tomb, and she thinks it's the gardener, records John. And she replies, if you've taken him away, tell me where you put him, and I will go get him. And then she hears her own name in a very familiar voice that says simply her name, Mary. And now what she hears is Jesus' voice. Jesus' voice, which now begins to give confidence and leads towards joy. Upon recognition, John says she turns toward him and all eyes and ears now, Mary has for Jesus. Her confusion is gone. She says, teacher, rabbi, or abonai. She heard her own name spoken by the Lord himself. He is fully alive and he knows her. In fact, Jesus knows just what Mary needs right now. She needs the reassurance of his voice. She needs the reassurance of his presence and his life. Jesus knows exactly what Mary needs. I've discovered recently that the internet thinks it knows exactly what I need. Megan and I celebrated our 40th anniversary last summer and our children gave us a very generous gift card to Home Depot to buy some new patio furniture. Well, it was the end of the season? We thought, let's just wait till early uh, the season 2016. So we've started looking and there's not much stock in the store. So what do you do? You go online. The internet thinks my life is consumed now with looking for patio furniture, by the way. (laughs) We bought some new appliances uh, this year and we bought them at Sears and so we got this little plan where you get a cash back. I got $50 cash to spend at Sears. Sears reminds me about that $50 every day. So I thought, what do I need? Oh, I need a new string trimmer for my garden. The internet thinks I'm looking for string trimmers constantly. The internet thinks it knows what I need, that my deepest needs in life are patio furniture and a string trimmer for my yard. I obsess a little bit about my yard, but it's not that important, okay? Oh look, Scott's online now. Bring up some more images. <laughs> Jesus knows me even better. Jesus looks and sees me, and he does know me and my deep need. He knows that sometimes, even when I'm peering at those things online, that those things are not going to bring fulfillment, even if I have the coolest patio furniture in the neighborhood and the best string trimmer made. Jesus knows my deep need. He knows those places when I need the reassurance that he is at work. And that even if I'm bumbling along trying to find my way uh, down this road and trying to lead a congregation in ways that I'm not always confident it's the right way, Jesus gives me a confidence and a reassurance when I stop to listen to his voice. Jesus knows my needs on those days when there's discouragement to remind me of the bigger picture of what going, what's going on. Jesus knows those days when I'm feeling a little bit lost to remind me of his reassurance and the power of the Spirit. Jesus does know me. He knows my need just as he knew Mary's need at that moment, that first Easter Sunday. Mary hears her name and she sees the risen Lord. Lord. She's the very first one to see him. She's the very first one to hear him. And from confusion and grief, she moves towards confidence and joy. She hears one more thing from Jesus. He gives some instructions. He says, don't cling to me. Everything is new. He says, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, my God and your God. What this means is Jesus is saying, this is not just the good old me. Don't just cling to who you think is maybe just me back like I was before. I am all new. I am the glorified Lord, and soon I will be ascended. Death is defeated. Don't hang on to me as an old friend, as an old memory, and as an old teacher, but go tell everyone that I am a Lord alive and that I am the Lord. And she did, because she saw. First of all, she saw an empty tomb, and secondly, she heard her name. She heard a Lord who knew her and knew her need. And then it says that she believed, or she believes in her words of declaring that she's seen the Lord. What do you believe? Mary's message is now filled with joy, saying, I have seen the Lord. A little bit more about Mary right here. She's Mary Magdalene. We know that name. There's a lot of Marys in Scripture. She's the only one called this, and she's probably simply called that because she was from a town called Magdala. Legend says she was the sinful woman in Luke 7, but there's no proof, and we don't really believe she was that person. Actually, Mary, though so well-known, is really just mentioned at the resurrection by all four gospel writers and in one other place in Scripture. And when she's mentioned in at one other place, it's Luke 8 where it tells us that she was one of the women who followed and supported Jesus and that she was the one, quote, from whom Jesus had cast out seven demons you want to talk about a changed life. Seven demons. She was a tormented woman and Jesus had set her free. No wonder she's following him. No wonder she's heartbroken when he's dead and body's gone. No wonder she's overjoyed when she hears her voice. He wasn't just a great guy and a good teacher and I love to hear his sermons from time to time. He had given her her life back. But now the transformation is even more complete. Now she's in the presence not only of this Lord who had given her life back, but she's in the very presence of the living, risen Lord. And she is fully believing and she's taking this message to others. Something's happened that she could not explain. Her initial reaction was confusion and emptiness, but now seeing fully, she is fully hearing, she is full of faith and she believes. And she goes from empty to filled. And we can as well. We speak of emptiness when we talk about a tomb, but we also speak of an emptiness that we experience in our own lives when we search for all the wrong things to fill it up. And our culture gives us all kinds of things to fill up our empty places, way beyond patio furniture and string trimmers, I'm telling you. There's all kinds of things that the world would give us to fill up our life, from material stuff to efforts that bring our own power, that bring more money, that bring achievement, that bring prestige. All those things we think will fill us up. Not that those efforts are necessarily bad in themselves, but they won't ever bring complete fulfillment. A focus on ourselves turns us away from God's best and even what might seem like an other focus when we look to family and to friends, even those relationships can still distract us from God's best in a relationship with him. We fill ourselves with stuff and activities and busyness and even relationships looking for satisfaction in life, and it all might actually bring joy for a time and happiness. It brings comfort and satisfaction for a time. But ultimately, these are empty promises when the space within us can only be filled by the living God. I'm sure many of you are familiar with a quote from 17th century French mathematician Blaise Pascal, a philosopher who said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man which cannot be filled by any created thing, but only by God the creator made known through Jesus Christ. Well, I looked it up and I found out that that actually is a shortened version or a bit of a paraphrase of what he actually wrote, of this quote. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man, and he means men and women, a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everybody around him, seeking in those things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are, though none can help since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. There's an empty place in every woman and every man that can be only filled by the presence of God for fulfillment. This is where this Easter road takes us. This is this road to new life. The Easter road takes us to an empty tomb and that points us to a risen Lord who offers life, eternal life, life with hope, life with purpose and direction. We've been on this road for the last several weeks during Lent and if you want to come up afterwards, I think you can see a picture of it during Lent with the purple and this road, it's still here now with the white the purple was a sign of royalty and pointed to Christ's suffering. The white and the gold now speak a triumph and seek of the victory of Christ over the grave and the purity. But the road is still here reminding us of the stops along the way to knowing Christ. It's stop number one. We're in Romans 3.23 which says, um, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's a glorious standard that God has and nobody can measure up to that standard on their own. And the second stop is in, in, in chapter 5 where it reminds us that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Even while we were sinners, Christ gave his life for us. And then the third stop reminds us that the wages of sin, we all deserve a spiritual death because of the way we live our life. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We're hopeless, far from God's standard. Christ, though, has died to forgive our sins and it's a gift of life from him. And the next stop in Romans 10 reminds us and teaches us that if we simply can believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God has risen him, we will be saved. This is the point at the story where we have the choice to make to confess him to receive this gift and to confess him as lord when we get into chapter 12 we're reminded of the changes that come into life that god has come to transform us if we offer our entire bodies a spiritual act of worship god will come in and bring change and then 12 too says that to, to, reminds us to not be conformed to this world but to rather be transformed by the ways we think letting the spirit of god transform the way we see our world and see each other And not be conformed to what the world tells us is going to fill up the empty places, but letting him fill it up. And our stop last week on Palm Sunday was in verse 3 of chapter 12, where we talked about the way of humility, that the only way to live this life in terms of our relationships with others is to live a life of humility that does not consider anyone as less important than we are. But we take the example of Jesus Christ, who became a servant to all rather than wanting to be served by all. And so we humbly give our lives and we humbly then live with other believers. This isn't just a pathway to get my ticket to heaven, people. This isn't just a, I was a sinner, I'm forgiven, I asked Jesus in my heart, I'm just hanging around until I get to go to heaven. This is a road with responsibility in it, of connections with other people. God has reconciled with me and now I live to reconcile with others and be a kingdom presence in this world. That's what fills up the empty places not only the gift of salvation in Christ, but a purpose of how we live now and how we relate with others. This is an Easter road towards salvation and towards fullness in Christ. On this Easter Sunday, then, we, I encourage you to ask the same questions as you approach the empty tomb, as you consider this road to salvation and towards life with Christ and with others. On this Easter Sunday, 2016, what do you see? What do you do with this story and this evidence of an empty tomb? And on this Easter 2016, what do you hear? As we hear these voices of these angels in a tomb, and we hear the voice of Christ himself, who calls your name and says, I know just what you need a lot better than the internet ever will. And then what will we believe? And finally, the question here, what steps can we take on this Easter road today to draw closer to Christ and to fill up those empty places with the living presence of Jesus? Let's reflect on those now as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are very much present here in our midst because when you rose from the dead, you didn't die again. You are present and living among us through the power of your Spirit. And you have brought life to our worship today. You have touched the places in those of us who are your followers of, of reassurance, Lord, that you are the one who brings fulfillment and hope and direction to our life. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage each one of us to take the steps we need to take to get closer to you, to discover this gift and what it means for how we live our life on this road, this journey that you've called us to. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in your name. Amen.